just want to be like him. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, mend me and make me more like Jesus. I don't want to live distracted. Faithfulness is what I seek, is what I need. Um, what a great song to start the morning. Um, and I, I pray that that is a, a, a passion and desire of our hearts to say, what did Jesus do? What did he say? That will be what I do. And uh, this is the heart of who we are at MBA, to follow the way of Jesus. And we're inviting you into that this year as we begin in a study and a living of Sabbath rest. Uh, next year, Trish and I, who you just saw up here on stage, will celebrate our 25th wedding anniversary. And we've started talking about what we want to do. And she wants to go on a romantic getaway to a historic place uh, like Williamsburg, Virginia, or St. Augustine, Florida, or something like that. And uh, I also am totally on board with that, but I would like to go to the Tunisian desert to the original Tatooine set for Star Wars. <laughs> historic, right? A historic place? <laughs> Uh, yeah, seriously, we, we love getting away with our kids, but we also really enjoy spending time together away, just me and Trish. And on our 20th anniversary, we went down to Disney World together, uh, just us. And Jim Gaffigan, you know, the comedian Jim Gaffigan, he says, adults who like to go to Disney World by themselves without kids, we have a, we uh, a word for that, and it is weirdos. And... <laughs> I, I'm okay with that. That's fine if that's what you want to call us. He says, even the Comic-Con people are like, yeah, those people are a little frightening. But uh, I'd go to Comic-Con too. In fact, honey, there it is, 25 years Comic-Con anniversary. That'd be fun. Um, you can call us whatever you want to. We do enjoy that, just us. And it's interesting, though. I learned something on that trip that I had never learned before. Uh, on a vacation that I have ever, had ever gone on. Um, when I was uh, growing up, we didn't necessarily go on vacations. We didn't have planned weeks of vacation. My dad, uh, would we'd be on a program together with him somewhere. We'd be down in Myrtle Beach at a church there, and he'd say, hey, we're at the beach. Let's go hang out over there for a day or two, and we would enjoy those times. But we never, I, I don't recall us ever saying, hey, here's a week, let's go and go on a vacation together. And so when I married into a family that, where that was the context, um, I had to adapt to that for a minute. And I, it was a bit of a challenge. I had to accept that it was okay, that it was good to stop working for a week and know that people weren't going to be judgmental or drop your support for something like that. And, and I began to see the merit in it very, very quickly. But the trip to Disney was the first time that I think that I can recall that we ever took a two-week vacation. And something happened that made me become a big proponent of a two-week vacation if you have that as an opportunity for yourself. Because at the beginning of the second week, somewhere between day eight and day ten, I, I remember the exact spot where I was sitting in our hotel room, and all of a sudden my shoulders just came down. And I went, oh. And I began to rest and settle in a way that 
I just, I, it was foreign to me. I began to de-stress in a way that I didn't really know was possible, in a way that I didn't really know that I needed, but when it happened, it was new, and it was surprising, and it was very welcome. But apparently it took me a little over a week to actually get to that point. Real rest, real rest is like that. See, the word vacation comes from the word vacate obviously and Dan Allender in a recommended reach exercise book for us in this series called Sabbath reminds us that vacate just means to get rid of or to empty something he says this to vacate or take a vacation we are not merely taking off from work taking time off from work we are attempting to flush away the cares of the world as we indulge in the diversions of our empty space we lie on the beach and dab ourselves with sun lotion we put in our iphone earpieces and read the latest best-selling adventure story but this is not sabbath it is vacating our work in order to fill ourselves with passing pleasure and he goes on to say that in many modern cases in, in, in many modern cases our vacations today have the allure of cotton candy. If you think about it, it's the brightly colored puff of candy on a little stick of paper, and it promises, as you look at it, a feast of fullness. But it's nearly impossible to eat without that sticky compromise, and you know what I mean, especially with kids. Once we put that into our mouths, that sugary diversion disappears and often we instantly sense the reality that no substance is actually available and it does not even satisfy us for a minute. This is the modern act often of vacating. It's pretty rare that folks can figure out a two-week vacation. I understand that. But what happened to me seemingly by chance over time on that trip is now something that we have learned to experience in the rhythm of life that God has given to us. We have learned to experience real rest, and I will never go back. When I hear rest, or you hear the word rest, I don't know what you think of, but you might nap, right? Not working, which is what we've talked about last week, the practice of actually stopping. But biblical rest is something more. The rest of God on the seventh day crea uh, of creation, his Shabbat, is a rest of self. It's a refreshing of all that we are. It's not just having job responsibilities and then not having job responsibilities or taking a nap at home or on the beach. If that were the case, it would have showed up for me, that real rest, on the first day of vacation instead of in the beginning of the second week. Jesus is offering us something more. And he says this to us, he offers this, uh, this to us in a core passage that we have come back to over and over again as we've entered into this, this time and this focus, and that is from Matthew eleven twenty eight, when Jesus offers rest for your soul. Some pushback on, on Sabbath and, and the Sabbath way of Jesus comes because we may, we may not see the value in stopping. 
And I want to encourage you on this. If all you do is vacate from working, then you're right. And that's why now we talk about what we do as we stop. And this is resting in God. Remember that it's going to take a little bit of practice to get there. And that's why it's called practicing the way, not just doing the way, just start doing it. It's going to take some practice. So what's the difference between vacating work and what Jesus offers you? What's the difference between rest and rest for our souls? Well, we seek the way of Jesus, so we're going to find that together today, prayerfully, as we enter into his word. And so let's pray and ask him to guide us as we study his truth today. Father God, thank you for giving us your truth and your perfect word provided for us. Today, Father, I pray that you speak through it and allow your servant to be a conduit of your truth today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It's really important that when we study words in the Bible that we think of them like we think of words in our culture. See, I think a lot of times we think of a word, we say, well, let's look that up and let's see what that means. But that's really not how we perceive and we interact with words in our English language, in our modern culture today. Uh, for example, let's, let's, let's think about this. Um, well, before I do, let me give you a little context on that, I guess. Um, what, it helps us to think of words in Scripture as having not just dictionary definitions, but encyclopedia definitions. My, my wife is going through a study right now with the Bible Project on how, studying how to study the Bible. And so I've been listening in over her shoulder, and I really like the way that they have discussed this idea of thinking of words as not just dictionary definitions, but encyclopedia definitions. Now, if you younger people don't know what an encyclopedia is, uh, let me just kind of share it. There used to be these crazy people that would travel door to door, and they would have in their little station wagon an entire grouping of gigantic books and they would have definitions, but, but very drawn-out definitions with word etymologies and things like this that, that explain their context and background. And they would sell, and people would actually buy them from them at their doors. And my grandparents did this. They had a purchase set of encyclopedias that they had bought from a fellow who had visited them at their house. And uh, you would go into them, and instead of going to uh, the Google Overmind, you would actually ask the encyclopedia what the definition of a word was. And, uh, and, and you go in and study it that way. And so this is uh, kind of the approach that it's helpful to take when we actually go into a word study in the Bible because we're talking about words that were shared in a culture on the other side of the word th world thousands of years ago that may be very different from the way that we engage with those words today. So when we, we lift a word off the page that's been translated into English Perhaps there's more nuance to it than we're actually reading. Let me give you an example in our language right now. So let's just take the little phrase, he, he's got heart. He's got heart. What does that mean to us? Well, he's got heart. Well, he's a man of courage, right? Well, maybe. Or he's a man of compassion. Oh, he's got heart. Right? 
He's a man of determination. He's got heart. He's driven towards one goal. Oh, no, he's got heart. That means he is a man of passion that overrides his pain. He's got heart. See, that's just our little definition of this phrase and that mean now how about if we just add a little bit more to the sentence he's got a great heart oh no now we have something totally different he's not he's not a man of determination he's a man of good intentions right oh he's just got a great heart he's got such a great heart or maybe if you're in the medical field he's got a fully functioning aorta you know <laughs> it might even be possibly a sideways put down well he's got a great heart <laughs> not much in the book smarts category he could really it'd help him if he probably bought one of those encyclopedia you know but when you hear this phrase or those words we have cultural meaning instantaneous meaning that we attach to those words and those phrases now so when we read biblical words and we really want to delve into the meaning of them, we need to be careful that we don't just attach our meaning that we read into the text instantly. For example, when we hear the word rest, we may think of taking a nap or just not sitting at the desk in the house, maybe sitting in a different chair in the house, taking a break from the kids. That's rest. But what does Jesus mean when he offers rest to us? Well, the Hebrew word for rest is menuah. And it means, if we we're going to just do a simple definition, tranquility, joyous, calm, a peace-filled delight. We're, also, we're already getting some nuanced realities to the definition of biblical rest see biblical rest and we read that word it carries with it the idea of joy so when god rests on the seventh day of creation he is experiencing he's what's communicating that god is experiencing joyous calm a restful delight dan allender again from our uh, sabbath reading our book that we're reading alongside in our study if we want to is he talks about this in context for us of what happens when a woman gives birth and the parents regard together what has arrived and they stand over the bassinet and they look down with joy and then the family comes in and they come to the nursery window and they get up against the window and they look into that little bed and they go, which one, which one, that one? Oh, he says this is that, that, that they'll, hold, they'll hold that little one and and we've probably seen images of mothers looking down at their babies, hundreds of images like this when they first see them. And here's one in 2005 of my wife holding little Liam for the first time. And what you are seeing right there in her face is menuah. It is tranquility. It is joyous calm. It is peace-filled delight, the rest after the work. Maybe you saw some pictures this week of Desiree and Ryan Levering's newborn baby Bennett and baby Bennett here is uh, with his sister Phoenix and at moments like this we we look at the mom or we look at the sister or we look at the dad we look at the siblings and we say oh look at Phoenix right there she is glowing look at mom with her baby she is glowing what is it that makes them glow 
Well, it's biblical menuah, the joyous rest after the work. Well, the joyous rest after mom's work, right? Jesus now invites us to this kind of rest, the menuah. So it's not just not working. It's not just stopping. What are the features then of this rest that Jesus is calling us to in the rhythm of Sabbath? Let's take a deeper dive then. Well, the first feature I just want to talk to you about today is the feature of presence. Presence. You've heard this before. Hey, 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 I'm talking to you. You listening? I mean, you're looking at me. I have this face, I'm told, when I'm playing guitar. Uh, where someone's talking to me, my wife's talking to me, and I'll be on. Because I'm thinking about the guitar, you know, and she'll go, hey, hey, huh? Yeah, I heard you. Sure, right. I totally heard everything that you just said. Uh Uh-huh, yeah, right? You're here, but you're not actually present. One aspect of the rest of the soul is the presence of the mind and the body. That's what Jesus is inviting us into. When we get restless in our spirit, think about your experience of restlessness when you feel antsy what's your reaction to that quite often our reaction to restlessness is i gotta do something i gotta do something right we rarely think i'm very restless i need to do nothing that's the paradox of sabbath stillness presence brings clarity to our lives wayne muller who is a author of another book called Sabbath, Restoring the Sacred Rhythm of Rest. He says this, We are every day becoming aware of the costs of a life without rest. Increasingly, social workers, courts, and probation officers are raising our children, rescuing them from the unintentional wasteland of our hyperactivity. See, our our restlessness, it actually injures people around us and we may not even be aware of it but those people need our attention more than they need our accomplishments let me say it again those people need our attention more than they need our accomplishments how many times has this happened parents where a child has asked for our attention we say no I'm doing something for you right now I cannot be present with you Our children need us to have time and space to look them in the eyes and answer questions and ask time to ask them about their lives and really be able to listen to their answers. Our spouses need that from us. The same, our Christian brothers and sisters need that from us. And if we are to be a people who shares hope with this world, those outside of Christ especially need this from us. But to some, resting feels wasteful. It feels extravagant. It's like a luxury that a busy, important person can't afford. Of course, the paradox is that rest is not something we can do without if we are to be people of compassion and love like Jesus. If your body stops working, that's one thing, but Jesus invites us to rest where our mind stops as well. Anybody have that trouble? 
sure I can stop my body but boy does my mind keep going Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6 here's what he says and I, I like to use the NLT when I'm trying to get a big idea of a passage ESV is great for getting into those word studies but I want to read from the NLT on this passage for you listen to the big concept Jesus is sharing he says this so don't worry do not worry saying what will we eat what will we drink what will we wear these things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers but your heavenly father already knows your needs seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need who is it that worries about the, the, the things in the moment who is it that's dealing with anxiety for the world around them and the issues of the moment and of the day it is the thoughts that dominate unbelievers but your father knows your needs and I want you to, to tune in on something with me about this passage this is not a nice life suggestion from our rabbi Jesus as apprentices of the way of Christ we listen to our leader and we listen especially for the commands and the instructions and that's exactly what this is this is not a suggestion this is not a nice way to live your life this is a command do not worry how in the world can we not worry Jesus how how can I respond to this affirmatively Can you hear his response to that question? My child, it's going to take some practice. It's going to take some practicing my way. This week was an opportunity for me to do that in our family. Spent a couple days sitting with my dad in the hospital with a blood infection. He's still not home yet. But that happened to, to come... Uh, down in West Virginia these past few days right over our time of Sabbath. And so it was a time for me to go, God, will I worry or will I rest in the fact that you know what is needed? And I want to tell you, there's some internal challenge in that. But I am so thankful for what Trish said. It's been our practice since June of the way of Sabbath and resting that is the, the rhythm of our life because it was a quick move for me to go into Sabbath rest even in the midst of something very trying something very concerning practice my way Jesus would say we're just beginning this journey and maybe you are very unaccustomed to stopping and resting and trusting your life to Jesus completely and I just want to tell you right now, I want to encourage you, if you've started this with us, so many have, I applaud you who are on this journey, who have set aside Sabbath time this past week. And I want to encourage you. I hope that it was a rich time of rest for the soul that it has become for my family. But in case that it was just hard and frustrating, and you just felt antsy, and you're like, uh, I just want to encourage you. You're saying yes to Jesus' invitation to a different way of living. And God is honored by that. And then I want you to consider this. What's better? 
an easy sacrifice or a difficult one. He is honored by your responding to his invitation. So what is this Sabbath rest, this rest of the soul that Jesus is inviting us to? Well, it is a stopping of the body, but it is also a presence of the mind. Be where your feet are. It's also recovery for both. It's recovery. If you would, turn with me to the chapter that we just read from. That's Matthew chapter 6 in your Bibles. Some of you already went there, and that's great, but, but go ahead to Matthew chapter 6. and <clears throat> This is um, basically right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus talks about being anxious and restless and worrying. That's what we read that little passage out of. And you'll see at the bottom of your page there that there is a fairly large section about not being anxious. It begins in verse 25. There I, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you'll eat or drink about your body, what you will wear. And he goes on to describe in detail how much God cares for his own. He's aware of your issues, and we need to trust him to provide for us and leave our anxiousness and our worry behind. But what I'd like you to do with me is back up just a little bit and look at some context. One of the things that the Bible, the, the modern English translations do to help us is they'll do like this in your passage. Maybe you have a heading before verse 25 that says, do not be anxious. And then it helps us to understand what's coming in that section. And that's good, but it also can betray a little bit of context for us because we'll say, well, that's just the anxious section, and then here's the section before that. But these headings were not here in the original text neither were the verse numberings it was just written text and so what is written right before this section helps us contextually to understand what being anxious is all about so let's back up a few verses into verse 19 and i want you to just see a few features that jesus is leading into his teaching on worry with so you can read those as I'll give you some summaries of them. Verse 19 through 21, summary of that, don't store up treasures on earth, store up treasures in heaven. Right? He says those treasures on earth, those get destroyed, they won't last. You're going to worry about your lawn and your car and your house and all sorts of things, and those things are passing away. Store up treasure that does not pass away. Then you got verse 22 through 23 that talks about the physical things that you look at on the outside will directly affect the spiritual things on the inside, the eyes, the lamp of the body. It's talking about the physical world around us. How we view them is going to affect the health of the world inside of us in our spirit. And then finally, verse 24, you can't serve God as a master and money as a master. It doesn't work that way. Do you see the context of what's being built as we enter into this teaching about anxiety, about clothes and food and the way that the, the provisions and the things of this world it's all about being anxious about stuff focusing on the things of this world being focused on the physical world and not the internal world and not trusting that God will provide for both simply put an apprentice of Jesus 
will only have Manoah rest for their souls when they recover from the twin false gods of our culture, which are consumerism and accomplishment. It's a nice house. A nice house isn't bad. A nice car is not bad. A promotion is not bad. A raise is not bad. In fact, these things can be blessings. However, rest for your souls in Christ involves us rejecting the thought that any of those things provides our ultimate value. As we rest on Sabbath, we reject and we rebel against the thought that I am valuable because I have a nice home. We reject the thought that I am valuable because I have a college degree. We reject the thought that I am valuable because I have a good job. We reject and we rebel against the thought that my ultimate value exists because I'm a great dad or I'm a good grandmother or I'm a good musician or I'm a good cook. Instead, we realign, we change our view of these things and we see them as opportunities to turn these blessings and these talents and these gifts toward God to serve the one who gives us our value and our identity. I think maybe some of us are afraid to rest because if we do, we won't know who we are because our value has come from accumulation and accomplishment. Jesus says, you need to stop and find rest for your soul with me frequently so you will know that I made you valuable regardless of your performance. Let me say it again. Jesus has made you valuable regardless of your performance. Here's what that means. It means if you are a skilled builder, if your hands can skillfully build and something happens to your hands the arthritis comes or an accident happens you do not lose one ounce of your value Paul reminds us therefore if anyone is in Christ a new creation has come the old has gone and the new is here do you see anything in that passage that would indicate that that is only true as long as I perform. Stop and rest with him and the identity he has given you. That means if you are a loving mother or a loving father and you care so deeply for your children and one or more of them begins to make choices that break your heart, you do not lose one ounce of value because your merit is not based on how your kids turn out. The prophet Zephaniah tells you, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will not rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. Your value is not based on your performance. It means that if you examine your life, and it is filled with a desire to serve the Lord, but you look at your track record, and it appears that there has been more failure than success. 
There's been as much stumbling as there has been walking. There has been a road paved with good intentions, but little follow through. That the Lord knows your heart, and he says to you, and through the Hebrew writer, Hebrews 6, now when people take an oath, they call on someone greater than themselves to hold them to it. And without any question, that oath is binding. God also bound himself with an oath so that those who received the promises could be perfectly sure that he would never change his mind. So God has given both his promise and his oath. These two things are unchangeable because it is impossible for God to lie. Therefore, we who have fled to him for refuge. Do you see the picture there? Those who have come to him and said, God, I need a place to rest. They can have great confidence. Say it with me. Great confidence. Say it again. Great confidence. This is what we can have. Those who have fled to him for rest and refuge as we hold to the hope that lies before us. This hope is a strong and trustworthy anchor for our souls. Your rest. Your rest isn't just good for your body it isn't just good for your mind it is essential to trusting God with your very identity knowing the way of Jesus when he offers not just rest but rest for our souls so when we go out to rest this week I know this is hard for some and so I just like to close with addressing some of the Stirring, I think, that is happening in hearts, I'm, I'm guessing, as we enter this way of Jesus together. Change is difficult for us. Adjustment is difficult. And I know this. Satan does not want us to succeed. In fact, I've heard some pe personal testimonies from folks in our church already of when they determined that they were going to set aside these precious moments of rest with God that Satan put up some pretty strong challenges in the way. Perhaps one of your struggles is family stress. Maybe you managed some stopping this week, but rest? <laughs> well, that's another level. Speaker and author Mother Carrie Wyatt Kent says this, for many of us, family is the place where we rest, the context in which we can be most authentic. But sometimes, family is a source of stress. Sometimes. Consider the possibility that some of your family stress might be from overscheduling and not because the people you live with are difficult. I challenge you this week, remove something from your schedule. Remove something from your schedule this week and take a step towards rest for your soul. That something might not be a bad thing. It might be a good thing. But sometimes the good keeps us from what is best. But maybe your issue is, uh, is the opposite. Maybe you feel lonely. You might feel that people who care are scarce. 
And I want to encourage you on this, that the scarcity mindset never brings us closer to God's peace or Jesus' rest for your soul. Maybe that's why you keep yourself busy, because rest would just be lonely. And this is exactly why rest is so important. Because in resting, you experience the abundance of God's grace. It is that lavish gift from him that is never earned. The Dutch minister Henry Nguyen says this, Paradoxically, time alone with God enables us to engage with people. Solitude imbued with God's presence not only fills us, it, listen, softens us. It makes our hard shells permeable so we can give and receive love. When you discover your belovedness by God, you see the belovedness of other people and call that forth. Community is not loneliness grabbing on to loneliness. I'm so lonely. You're so lonely. Community is solitude grabbing on to solitude. I am the beloved. You are the beloved. Together we can build a home. This week, let's Sabbath together. Let's engage the practice of presence of recovery, of identity. I'm so excited for you to go into week two of your practicing the way groups and get some very tangible encouragement on how to do this. When we do this, we will know not just rest, but we will begin to know rest for our souls. And when our shoulders begin to come down in a way that perhaps they never have, we begin to shine with a hope that we can offer to others that they so desperately need. The rest that Jesus offers to every person. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, thank you for offering a way. Thank you for the way of Jesus. Thank you for the path to the cross that he took that provided the ultimate sacrifice for sins that we could not provide on our own. This hope, this anchor for our souls gives us hope for tomorrow, but Father, help us not to miss on the, out on the hope for today that Jesus has offered us. This rest and this peace that passes understanding that we will only know as we follow his way. And so, Father, help us to rest well in Christ. In his name I pray. Amen. My name is Deidre. I'm a mom. I have three young adult children. I'm also a pediatrician, I'm working full-time seeing patients. And for me to be able to Sabbath, and it started with me doing some of my um, to-do list on Friday, and then being very clear with my team that I was signing off email and having a tagline that I won't be responding to emails until Monday morning, um, which at first that was really challenging because a lot of work I realized happened on the weekends. Um, but one of the benefits of me doing that as a leader in the organization is that set an expectation over time. And I think other people actually appropriately were able to step away from work as well. In the United States, we're driven by accomplishment and we're independent. And so 
to Sabbath, you have to pause. You have to give up what it is that you're accomplishing and say, like physically, mentally, spiritually, that God, you're enough. And it's not about what I'm doing or what I can accomplish. And I don't think that that is an alignment with um, my generation or our culture or our society to pause and to relinquish control um, and to be out of touch for any extended amount of time. I, I think the hardest part for me when I first started was setting aside all the things that I would normally do during that day um, and be focused on not doing. And that is not my personality. Um, and it's I'm a single mom with three kids who works full time. And so there's always something that I should be thinking about or thinking about doing or actually doing. That discipline of saying, I'm gonna step away and I'm not gonna be available um, to work, I'm gonna rest and I'm going to go out in nature, I'm gonna connect with friends, I'm gonna worship and I'm gonna celebrate.